Welcome to Breaking Free. I'm Rania Kurdi, a transformational life coach, comedian, and mother of two. And you can join me weekly to hear some intimate self-reflections and conversations with inspirational friends and guests from all around the world, sharing what they needed to break free from in order to live a life of purpose. My guest today is Jen Hume, an introverted, quirky, humorous, and highly sensitive person who didn't fit in the corporate tech world, but created her own path. Jen, I'm so glad to have you here today. I want to start with just asking you a few questions about yourself, just some fun icebreaker questions, if that's all right. Okay. Okay. So what is your ideal day? If you could have a day that you really enjoyed, what would what would your day be like? It starts with a nice leisurely coffee. Everything starts with coffee with me. So coffee and a Sudoku puzzle that gets that wakes my brain up. In fact, I I start every day like that. So I have that nice leisurely breakfast, then out on a walk, and I'd love to I love to walk around cities in Eastern Europe. So looking at all the architecture. And with my headphones on, so I'm listening to music, have a good wander around, then maybe visit some historical places like a, a castle or a museum or something like that. Bit of lunch somewhere, then in the afternoon, do a history walking tour. So it's a, either history or mystery, something like that. I love walking tours where someone else takes you around somewhere and shows you everything. Then finishing off the day with a nice meal and maybe some theatre or cinema. And that would do me lovely. Wow, Jen, you've definitely got this day planned out in your head. You didn't think twice uh, what it was like to have an ideal day. And it sounds like this day is you by yourself. Is that true? Yes, mostly. Yeah. Yep. Brilliant. Which takes us into, we're going to talk today about being an introvert and being a highly sensitive person, which is something that you are. And I think it'd be really interesting to understand how you enjoy that time alone, where some people fear that they think it's the worst thing ever is spending time alone and it would be very lonely. Mm -hmm. So how is it for you? And how early on did you realize that you were an introvert and you enjoyed time by yourself? Oh, okay. I and answering the second question, how early did I realise, as a child, I knew that was definitely happening because um, my parents were very, very busy all the time running a pub. And so I was left to play on my own a lot. And I loved this because I could just make up stories, play with my Lego. And that was about it, really, play with my Lego and make up stories. Oh, and try and go off on walks like outside of the pub and down the road, which was not allowed because nobody in their right mind lets a five-year-old wander off on their own down the street. <laughs> no, I was always trying to escape. So I realised, I, I guess I, I had a very introverted childhood. I remember my mum sort of later on going, oh, you know, we sort of left you on your own a lot. I was like, no, don't worry. It was brilliant. I loved it. But we didn't have the words introvert then. So I didn't know. So I was introverted as a child. When I look back now and go, yes, totally. My 12th birthday party, everyone came. It was lovely. But after a couple of hours, I was 
on a table by myself. And I remember my dad saying, look, you can't sit on a table by yourself at your party. You have to go be with your guests. And I was like, oh, yeah, OK. <laughs> but I'd had enough of that point. <laughs> I know he was right, you know. <laughs> How did you manage to make friends if you were so introverted? I don't know. It's always making friends has always been a mystery to me. So I just seem to pick up the weirdos mostly. And the I, I've never had like lots and lots of friends, but just a few close ones that I really get on with. Well, that's what's important, really, is having your tribe, having people that are similar in what they like or how they think or... Yeah. You know, that you can bond with in a way where you don't have to feel that you're not fitting in or trying to be someone else. So that's amazing. Yes. Yeah. I think as well, I remember when um, one of my closest friends ever, Justine, we're still friends now. And um, she joined our school a little bit later than everyone else. So she was the new girl and I could see she was feeling a bit sort of out of place. So I made extra effort with her. So I think as well, I would pick up the people. I would spot the people who felt a bit uncomfortable and out of place and go and try and make them feel a bit more comfortable. So that helped in making friends. That's that's definitely a highly sensitive thing, isn't it? It's a trait where you notice and you're very attuned to other people's emotions and energy. Yep. I discovered only a few years ago that I'm highly sensitive and that there is such a thing that 20% of humans and animals are highly sensitive and will, you know, be be overwhelmed by things more than others or underwhelmed by things. So you have to have that sort of balance in the middle where you're interested in something, but there isn't this overload of doing too much of it, like having a birthday party with friends over. Most highly sensitive people are introverts, but you can also be an extrovert. And that's why I couldn't tell or know that there was such a thing for me. And it's really explained a lot of things. So I think it'd be very helpful for anyone listening today, you know, if they feel that they're different or they feel that they're really sensitive about certain things that other people aren't, to know what those things are. So for you, Jen, what are they other than noticing that somebody else maybe is feeling left out and other people haven't noticed? Ah, yeah, it's for me, it's a lot of noise. A lot of crowds, most definitely. If I'm hungry, I get huge hangriness. Hangry, oh yeah. Oh, my God, yes. I need to make sure you know, I'm eating properly. I used to, in my 20s and 30s, used to go to music festivals and wonder why I would be absolutely tired out and have a two-hour nap in the middle of each day. And it's like, well, all the different noises and different sounds and crowds of people was completely overwhelming me, even though I would enjoy the quieter areas of festivals and go go there, but just the big areas, they really did. So it was, you know, to answer the question, definitely noise, you know, too much smells, too many, um, too many different inputs, too many different noises, too many different people, too many different smells and things. So that would really do it for me too. I I feel it uh, big time when I go into shops and there's music on. And, you know, being a singer myself, it confused me because I thought, shouldn't I like music? Shouldn't I like listening to music when I'm going, you know, around the shops or in the car? But it actually can start irritating me 
if it's not my choice or the right mood or the right vibe that I'm in, I can't concentrate on, you know, trying to decide on what I want to buy if I've got music kind of pumping in my ears in a supermarket. Yes. Yeah. I often hear about people in sort of going past perfume counters and so on. I mean, I'm absolutely fine with that. I don't, that doesn't bother me, but I've got a friend who just can't bear it. So if we're out and we're, if we're going past a perfume counter, she's just like, no, can we just get past it as quickly as possible? Because this is doing my head in all the different smells. Yeah. Yeah. I hear that it's actually a tactic in shops to have the music Mm -hmm. to hurry you up so that you just get on and buy and leave. So you're not just sort of lingering browsing don't know if that's true but it definitely makes me want to get out of there before I've even bought so yes. it's not working on us highly sensitive <laughs> it's not <laughs> yeah so I find that being highly sensitive helps me in my career as an actress notice little characteristics little traits and behaviors in people that other people maybe don't pick up on but then when they watch me do a character they're like oh my god we know someone like that you know because those details are there so it's really helped me in some areas how has it helped you you know you your work is all in tech does does it help you at all in that area or other areas of your life oh that's a good question i don't know such a good question it doesn't have an answer It is, yes. This is being highly sensitive helped me do my work. No, I don't think it makes a difference to me. I mean, I do it because I I can't bear being in an open plan office. I really cannot abide that with the with the overhead strip lighting especially if it hums if it makes that tiny little humming noise that lights sometimes make yes so lighting is another thing and the sound that comes out of yes it. Yeah. yeah and all the different people and the fact that anyone can come by your desk at any time and talk to you I'm like hang on I'm concentrating because it's very hard if my concentration gets broken to get it back again and that's just made me think as well another thing which may fit in with the sensitivity was the server rooms I was in tech in IT in my in the corporate world and sometimes we'd have to go in and rearrange all the server rooms server room is just a one room loads and loads of computers in it all humming and beeping and making noise and fans to keep them cool and I used to go in there I could never spend more than 10 or 15 minutes at a time because I would start to get dizzy and feel sick and that was you know, I never knew why. And just talking now, realising it was possibly the sensitivity, possibly, you know, maybe someone more sciencey than me would say, well, it's all the electrons and blah, blah, blah in the air because you've got that much, that many computers going off. Um, computers without monitors. So we're not talking about blue lights or anything, blue light from the screens. But yeah, that would really throw me. But in terms of going back to the original question of... So you're in your acting, you notice tiny details. For me, my sensitivity in what I do, it enables me. Yeah, I have found a thing. On the tech side, it doesn't matter because tech is so easy to deal with. It just does exactly what you tell it to. It's so straightforward and simple. Unfortunately, I joke that it often it does what you tell it to. It doesn't, which isn't always what you actually want it to do. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I'm thinking, like, I can't even relate to that. You're saying that it does do what you want it to do, and it's so easy. And for me, it's the most thing that overwhelms yeah. me. No, it's, it doesn't you know, do it, what you it want it to. It drives me crazy. It will do what you tell it to, 
not necessarily what you want it to. <laughs> not always the same thing. But enables me to, to answer the original one. And I know I've gone all around the tangent tree on this one. So I do apologize. <laughs> but to answer the question, how does my sensitivity help me with my work? It enables me to relate to my clients. Now, that makes a huge difference in that I'm not just some techie who's going, hey, you know, we need to sort out your DNS settings and, you know, install this plugin and configure this. I speak human and I can understand what they're going through. So it gives me that empathy. And I can then say it, I can listen to them talking and say, you know, describe things back to them in their words. 100%. Like that's definitely an experience that I've felt with you, or even from reading your website, is that you are sensitive to understanding what people need and the language that they need to be explained to. Because I think that's what keeps a lot of people away from techies or having their website done is that they're petrified of not understanding what that person is even asking of them or the questions, you know, that we wouldn't know how to answer. But if I can say to you, oh, Jen, how do I move the thingy from the uh, what's it and add a picture in the boxy thing, you know, you'll explain it to me in those terms, which is fantastic. Yeah, I mean, there's so many people that go, oh, I need to yeah, I need to get a website up. I need to get a website up. I'm like, why? Oh, so I can get clients. Okay, how do you take them in? What kind of clients do you have? What kind of mood are they in when they approach your website? What do you want them to do? And they're like, oh, um, oh yeah, okay. Suddenly they start answering these questions. I'm like, right, now we'll just put it all together like so it works like this. Whereas techies will go, okay, we need to configure you with WordPress and do this, that, and, you know, set this up. And it's like, no, you haven't. You've created something that's technically very good. But from a human point of view, from a business point of view, it's not working. Yes. And I think that's what they mean when they're saying, you know, we need women in the teams at work or, you know, in, in the groups so that we've got that more sensitive kind of outlook about things and we've got a different approach. But actually, I don't think it's so much women or men. It's highly sensitive or not highly sensitive. Yep, exactly. Yeah. It's um, we don't need this masculine or we don't need so much of this masculine energy anymore. And I've seen that play out horribly in the corporate world with the uh, the guys going Oh, I'm more technical than you are. I understand this. I understand that. And they like have this big sort of posturing, out teching each other thing. And I'm kind of going, well, how does this help the end user who just wants to get his document finished and go home at five o'clock so he can have his dinner and his wife isn't going to nag him? Yeah. But I mean, not necessarily are women going to be different, particularly if they're like, you know, hardcore techies that aren't highly sensitive. It's about being highly sensitive, I think, mm -hmm. that helps yeah. be attuned to other people's needs. Yeah. So you can have a man that's highly sensitive and he will know how to explain things in terms or tend to the needs of what people actually want in a different way yes. than a non-sensitive. Yes. And I saw those as well. I've seen guys like that who are, you know, technically very competent, but also very mindful of the end user as well. They were normally the ones that were doing better in their careers, I must admit. I think when you have that balance of that female-male energy, where you've got the sensitivity and you've also got the focus and drive, 
that's when things, you know, you can work to the maximum of your potential. Exactly. It's embracing both those energies. And you said the word perfectly. It's less about, you know, the gender or, you know, the what your physical body is and more about the energies you bring. And I think everyone can bring both that, that masculine pushing forward, drive energy and that feminine empathy, understanding, sensitivity energies. And um, it's knowing when to use them, what levels, balancing it all out and so on. And Jen, we were talking earlier and you said to me that you've got some superpowers and some shit powers. So I'd love to know, what are your shit powers first? (laughs) What are your super ones? My shit powers are like when people say to me, so what's special about you? My answer is, um, what? Um, I don't know. I like cheese. (laughs) I can, I can fit my entire fist in my mouth. Um, Yeah. Can you? (laughs) I can actually. Yes, it's my party trick. The other one is holding up people in the air between my thighs, but um, that was a few years ago now, and I don't think my muscles quite are quite as strong as they were back then. Yeah, I'm not very good at sort of blowing my own trumpet. So the telling, sort of putting things. I'm not good at putting things nice and succinctly and neatly. So I'm definitely not good on the spot with a microphone. As we can hear, there are an awful lot of ums and ahs. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's but it's that sort of like thinking quickly on the spot. I'm terrible at that. Describing what I do, where it's you know, blowing my own trumpet. I'm terrible at that as well. So those are my two major shit powers, I think. And what are your superpowers other than tech? Oh, organizing. I. I have systems for everything I've got like because I you know I've got things I want to do in business and in life as well and I'm just doing one right now Um, I've got rubber bands around my water bottles which measures how much water I'm drinking so I don't have to actively think about things so it's setting up systems that I can just work things by clockwork, don't have to waste a lot of time, energy or thought on, but they're already pre-configured. So I just press the button and they go. So I like making things quick and easy. And are they your own ideas or do you pick them up from different places? Like the rubber band one, for instance? Oh, I don't know. I might have made that up myself. I might have read it somewhere. It's a mix, I think. You know, when you were talking about concentration and that, you know, it's very easy for you to lose concentration. Actually, it's very easy for everyone to lose concentration. And that's why having your messages and emails unmuted is a real problem because you lose your concentration. I can't remember how long it was. It's something like crazy like 26 minutes or 36 minutes every time you hear a notification whether you read it or not it has distracted you and then your concentration is broken and we definitely get notifications more than one time every 26 minutes which means you've never refocused you've never got back to focusing on what you were doing so it's so important I think for us to realize that we think we can do all this multitasking but actually we do not have the focus that we used to have before when we were uninterrupted by all these things like social media and, you know, we used to have answer phones and get back to things later, but now it's constantly disrupting your focus. 
Yes, it's, well, actually, I've got my phone configured to only deliver notifications at certain times anyway, so simply because of that, yeah. And it is, you know, I work to, I pass a lot of my time. I'm like, no, it's, I'm doing this now, no notifications, no, switch the email off, all those sorts of things, yeah. So it sounds like you've found a good way to work around your high sensitivity and to not be triggered by things and not be overwhelmed by things and that you've found a good system in the way that you do things. And I think that's what's really important about discovering if you are an introvert or highly sensitive rather than sort of living in denial, forcing yourself to do things that, you know, don't suit you. It's good to actually realize it because then you can work around it, can't you? Oh, exactly. Yes. There's no point trying to make yourself less introvert or less highly sensitive. It's not going to work. You can put it aside for maybe a short time if you have to. You know, yes, we can all do things outside of our natural stuff short term if we have to. We can, if you think about, um, you know, a mother and their child has, you know, fallen under something extremely heavy, you know, that mother will move, you know, lift up. If uh, Okay, let's rephrase that. For imagine a mother, yeah, their child, a car has fallen on the child for something. That mother will find the strength to lift that car up to get that child out straight away. Doesn't mean she's got that strength all the time, but, you know, we can all find that strength. That's obviously an extreme example. But you don't want to be doing that 24-7. No, you want to reserve that. Yeah. (laughs) So you can, you know. You can push it aside short term, but to do that long term, that will really grind you down. And that can lead to fatigue, to all sorts of physical and mental illness that is just not worth having. So it's best just to accept, right, this is what I've got. This is what I've got to work with. And the question to ask is not what can I do, but how, you know, this is what I want to do. How can I do this? How? Start asking, how do I get here how do I do this how can I make this easy for myself how can I do this without having to do that yeah there's this 2080 rule you need to be putting in 20% effort to receive 80% sort of progress or result it shouldn't be the other way around that you're putting in 80% to receive 20 So it's a good way to kind of shift your thinking about, okay, how can I make this easier or smoother and not be really resisting or struggling so much? So something like simply putting elastic bands has saved you a lot of time thinking or faffing with worrying about how much water you're going to drink or have drunk or forgotten to drink. Or No, it's great. I just look at my bottle at the end of the day and, you know, I have to get in the habit of remembering when I finish, when I finish a bottle, because I have it all in a a plastic bottle with a straw which is a completely reusable one once I've finished just move the band down the bottle from the neck further down the end of the day I'm like great (laughs) yeah so where has being an introvert been harmful or affected you in life it could have been in a friendship or a relationship or something that you lost because you couldn't speak up you know or bullying, anything like that, where has it affected you negatively, do you feel? It definitely is for friendships as well. I have to remember to check in with people. I can quite happily go weeks and weeks without like speaking to my friends and 
that's fine. But sometimes they can feel like they've been abandoned. So I need to make the effort to go, okay, yeah, remember, and just send a message. doesn't have to be a load, but just remember to check in with friends. That's interesting because it's a complete contrast from being highly sensitive. Is it? Yeah, like the highly sensitive person would be really attuned to, oh, it's so-and-so's birthday, I mustn't forget. Oh, I haven't checked on whatever. Um, I don't want them to feel left out or I must ask about so-and-so. You know, they're too alert to other people's needs and feelings, possibly. But the introverted side to it, you know, because you're going on happy-go-lucky in your own world, you could easily miss those things as well. Yeah. And I think it depends as well how codependent or people-pleasing you are as to how that high, high sensitivity shows up. That's a, that's a bad combo, I think, if you've got, you know, people-pleasing and high sensitivity. You can really burn yourself out just talking from experience. <laughs> I think so, yeah. Fortunately, I don't have that. And I was just thinking as well, a more extroverted, highly sensitive person Oh, might really struggle there. Because, yeah, people-pleasing doesn't bother me. Did you have siblings or were you really, really completely alone at home? You know what? I used to forget that I had two brothers. They're 10, oh. 14 years older than me. And people used to say to me, are you an only child? And I'd go, yep. And then a minute later, I'd go, sorry, I'm not. I forgot. I've got two brothers. <laughs> <laughs> well, I suppose they were always getting on with their own thing and not at home by the time you were five roaming the streets. Exactly. Yeah. When I was trying to roam the streets. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I think it sounds like it helped you that you knew early on that you enjoyed your own company and were an introvert. You sort of, you know, built those systems that worked for you early on. Mm, it did. Am yeah. I right. Yeah, mm. it did. I mean, later on when yeah, you know, when you get to teenage years, you're more naturally outgoing. I think you want to group together and find your friends and everything. But it was a bit of a struggle then because it's like, well, where do I fit and how do I go and make friends but I found a way <laughs> so <laughs> I found my people and I think sometimes in I remember being very young maybe 12 13 14 that age and seeing what everyone else enjoyed and thought like oh my god oh my god I don't like that at all oh what what you know and finding oh. like a lot of things were really loud and noisy and uh, just think oh no that's too much I'd rather be away with a book. Mm. What do you read? I read memoirs for people who live in Eastern Europe because I have a special interest in Eastern Europe. Yeah, what is the affinity with Eastern Europe? Okay, I do have, I actually have a list for it. Um, I read that, I read, sometimes I just read trashy like stuff I could download for free on Kindle <laughs> just to waste my brain or books to help me do more things efficiently things like tiny habits by bj fogg i love that book my other one oh the happiness trap which is acceptance commitment therapy which is a lovely system for dealing with um unwanted thoughts wow brilliant yeah i'll add those in the notes for anyone who's interested to look them up yeah so eastern europe do you think a reincarnated life like this uh, attachment or was it an experience you had or a film that you watched? What is it that attracts you to Eastern Europe? Eastern Europe, I like. I mean, I went to Russia just before Glasnost, just before it 
opened up to the world and the Iron Curtain ended. So that was quite an impression on me to just say, wow, you know, this is how people live. This is very different. Then I went interrailing around various countries in the early 90s and I saw you know, the lifting of you know, the, the first years after the Iron Curtain had come down because, of course, we had the Berlin Wall falling in August 1989. So that, I think it just my age, that time, it all affected me. And I was like, wow, you know... Um, and, and I love to see, so I went to, in the early 90s, I went to Prague and Budapest, I think was what I saw. And then I saw them in the late 90s. I lived in Poland, went back to Prague and Budapest. And then sort of beginning early 21st century was there again. And again, just in recent years. So it's been, it's seeing the movement, the change from being, you know, pretty much occupied by Soviets into you know, more open and free. Also, what I do like about a lot of these places is there's less advertising everywhere. I've noticed a huge difference, like sort of when I go to Spain and it's like, well, there's adverts everywhere. Or if you go up to the centre of London, Piccadilly Circus, all those lights and adverts and everything you get a bit less of that in Eastern Europe. So it feels a bit quieter and a bit calmer. So it suits my introversion. Doesn't feel like everyone's selling to you. Yes. Yeah, very much. <laughs> yeah. Even though they are, and you know, I've seen a huge difference in it. And you know, well, it's all... the old fashioned way, isn't it? It's on the streets, actual things that they're selling to you. You know, you want to buy some belts, you want to buy handbags, you want to buy. It's a very different system than posters everywhere. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That that was the late 90s. That's changed now as well. You'll see a bit less of that. But yeah, um, yeah it's definitely less, but less billboard advertising. It's lovely. I mean, they do have, you know, when I was in last in Krakow, when was I there? 2019. They do have the um, two big shopping centres and they're like, oh, they're awful because they're just the same as everywhere else. You could be in any country, any town, anywhere. So they've got yeah, that. copy paste. Yeah. Oh, yeah. But, um, well, I remember to go to Russia, I think 92, 91, 92, wow. with a college trip. And um, I just moved from Jordan. The Gulf War had started and I'd come to England and there was a school trip to Russia. And, you know, us used to warmer weather. My mother thought I was going to freeze there. So she made me wear thermals and a ski suit for the whole trip. Like that's all she sent with me and said to make sure that I put it on before I get out of the plane. And I spent like the whole week in this green <laughs> pastel <laughs> ski suit when everyone else had like all these nice snazzy outfits with them for different outings. And I was shocked by how they had different things for Russians, the locals, and different things for tourists. So Pizza Hut was split in two. Pizza Hut for Russians didn't have the same toppings, like they had really dull, plain toppings and beetroots on one of them, whereas the Pizza Hut for us had all the normal toppings that we knew. Did wow. you Did you experience any of that? Yeah. I mean, I was in... Then in 1986, seven, sorry, 1987, we did have the Berioska shops, which were shops that only foreigners could use. So they'd be selling things and they only took hard currencies and anyone Russian wasn't allowed to use them. 
Yeah, that's all I really noticed. We didn't go into, I don't think they had even Pizza Hut or McDonald's or anything like that at all. Yeah, it was a really new thing that they had McDonald's when we were there and everyone was so excited about it because it was a sure place to find meat and dairy, whereas in the supermarkets, it was almost empty. You know, they were never sure if they could find any and if it would be stocked up, but McDonald's was guaranteed. Also, it was the most colourful thing there, you know, the bright red and the bright yellow in a very sort of dull grey atmosphere of no billboards, actually, you know, there was none of that. So McDonald's really stood out with its colours. God, yeah, it would. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, it was a very interesting experience. Would you like to learn the language, do you think? Which language? Like any any Eastern European language. Ah, Oh, here we go. And anyone who speaks (laughs) Polish will know I just said, I'm sorry, I don't speak Polish. Do you speak English? I think high sensitivity also helps to notice details of how, you know, things sound differently, perhaps, if you want to pick up any accents or languages. How are you with accents? Not bad. I grew up with a Scots accent. Now I have an English one. I do speak French. Okay, I'm going to list all the languages I speak. I'm not fluent in all of them, but I can get at least by in French, Spanish, Italian, German and Polish. Amazing, Jen. (laughs) And it's just the different, noticing the patterns and the differences, although it is hard, like Polish and German, just the similarities. If I, you know, and again with Spanish and Italian, I have to kind of pick one. Otherwise, um, one will come out when the other one's meant to come out. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) I know that feeling. (laughs) And what would you say triggers you? So you know all these avoidance techniques of, you know, what overwhelms you or what you don't like and how to work around that. But what do you find still triggers you that you can't seem to avoid? What do you mean by trigger? Can I have an example? Yeah, annoys you, upsets you, puts you sort of in a different mood, takes control over you. It could be a a particular word. It could be a behavior. It could be, for instance, if I'm on a tech call or like a complaint call about something and I feel that the person is talking to me in a very robotic, automized sort of way that they've been trained to say this particular dialogue, no matter what your concern is, and they go, I understand how you're feeling. However, and they repeat exactly what they said before in the same manner. I kind of think just because you say I understand how you're feeling does not mean that you're listening to me and I get really upset. So that, for instance, triggers me. Right. Yes, I see. What makes you see red, really? Yes, yes. What makes me see red is, yeah, it's a little bit similar, actually, to yours. It's when, you know, you try and talk to someone, they go, oh, I know exactly what you need, blah, 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 blah. When people are trying to sell me something, oh. I have a really good example. I remember talking to a guy who worked for a company who make booking software. We just got chatting. He said, oh, what do you do? I told him, oh, I do tech setups for coaches and consultants. And he was like, oh, do you? So then he launched into his company and it was all this and that and the next thing. And I kept trying to say, well, yeah, but yeah, you're... uh, and next thing you know, he's like, I'll get you some literature. Here you are. And he's like, you know, pulled out this stuff. And I thought, 
I've said about three words to you. You've decided that you know all about me. And basically, you've just decided that I'm useful and therefore I'm going to listen to you all the time and do everything you want. I was like, nope, no, you didn't take the time to go. Oh, right. So you do text out for coaches. That's interesting. What do you use? How do you do this? You know, la, la, la. You didn't take the time to say, hey, I work for a company that does this. Would you be interested in hearing a little bit more about it? Yes, asking your permission. Yep, just that bulldozering, blah, blah, blah. I had the same thing. Not long after I first went self-employed, my PC broke down. That's how old it was. PC, I was using a computer rather than a laptop. And I took it up to the, carried it up to the shop to get it fixed. And I said, oh, you know, I've just gone self-employed. And he went, oh, you're a small business. I, I can help you. Blah, 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 blah. Hmm. And I didn't hear a single word he said because all he did was just talk at me without asking me one single question about me. But that really triggers me. When So to put that into a nutshell, what really triggers me is when people try and sell me things without asking any questions about me or showing any interest in me first. Yeah. And I think that is mixing a highly sensitive person with somebody who's definitely not sensitive you get that clash as well because they're completely unaware that they're bulldozering you because it might work on someone else, but to you, it's just too much. And I remember, you know, before realizing I'm highly sensitive, I could not handle going for a facial or anything like that, where at the end of it, the lady would start trying to sell me certain creams or shampoos or anything like that. I just wouldn't return. I wouldn't go back because I found it really difficult to say no. And it wasn't my choice. And that wasn't the reason I'd gone there. That I would just change and go to a different hairdresser or I'd go to a different yeah, beautician. Yeah. Oh, totally. I just, especially if you've just had something like a massage and you're really chilled, you mm. don't want anyone talking to you. Yes. <laughs> no, no thanks. Oh. <laughs> Well, Jen, the podcast is about breaking free, as you know. So what do you feel you broke free from? I know that when I was in the corporate world, I left that corporate world feeling like I had absolutely nothing of value to offer the world because I had let my my sensitivity and my introversion, I I didn't have a handle on it at the time. And I thought I was just too shy, too backward, too stupid not a good people person. So I had a mixture of not enough, plenty of not enough, plenty of lack feeling, and also a bit too much. I was too quiet. I was too stupid. I was too annoying. So since, you know, I've then since worked for myself, I've let go of that and realized that it's actually, instead of looking at these things as, well, you know, that doesn't fit in there finding where they do fit finding use for them flipping them really and going okay you know one of my greatest helps you know said to me you know a weakness is a strength in the wrong environment oh I know I was kind of it was Marianne Campwell free range humans I was like yes totally it is and it's like well you know what you're doing here may not work here but if you do it over there it's like wow that's suddenly amazing so it was finding out it was getting to know myself better accepting myself hugely stopping all this beating myself up rubbish accepting myself and finding out well you know where does that work where is that really appreciated yes and that's where you are now 
Yep. Mm-hmm. With Helia Tech and helping other people who do feel overwhelmed by it all to go to the corporate, you know, route for any tech help. So you've got your people and they know where to go as well if they want that more sensitive approach. So yeah, I think we can live our lives thinking that our weaknesses are weaknesses when actually they can be our biggest strengths and superpowers. Yeah hugely just think about it's in the wrong environment and also you know how can I'd say to anyone if they're sitting there like I was thinking like oh you know I I make jokes all the time that I'm so pathetic just think about where that would be appreciated and take it there and it's actually appreciated in in tech support a little bit of humor goes a long way Definitely. It takes away the stress from it when you're really like agitated about it all to just, uh, yeah, have a lighter kind of approach to it. Yes. So much better. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you, Jen. Thank you for being you and thank you for sharing so honestly. I'm sure this would be really helpful to anyone who's still struggling, thinking that, you know, being an introvert or enjoying spending time alone is a bad thing or high sensitivity you know, disrupts them moving forward because in fact, it can be really a superpower. I thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Yes, I really want to underline that. Your sensitivity is a superpower. You've just got to figure out how to use it. If you feel the subject matter has resonated with you in this episode, and perhaps you could be an extroverted, highly sensitive person like myself, or perhaps an introverted one like Jen, my guest, then you can do a self-test online looking up Elaine Aaron for any more information about the highly sensitive person. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode of Breaking Free, please share it with your friends or on your social media platforms. And of course, I'd really love it if you can subscribe, rate or review the show. You can reach me directly at ranyakurdi.com if you would like to ask a question, comment on what you heard today or find out how I can support you on your journey. Sensitive 